This is The Guardian. Hello and welcome to The Guardian Football Weekly. Newcastle just minutes away from a famous victory in Paris before one of those handballs. What else are we meant to say about them? Well done. Good process. They'd ridden their luck. Nick Pope was brilliant. PSG Mr. Hatful. But still quite a performance from this threadbare squad who keep defying the odds. Dortmund are through the group of death after three wins in a row and a relatively comfortable victory in Milan. Has Pep chanced upon a way to get a decent atmosphere at the Etihad? Just go two goals down and stage a late recovery. Phil Foden at the heart of everything in that second half. We won't forget Monday Night Football. At least there's no VAR chat in the Premier League. All we want is consistency and it is consistent to continually screw over Gary O'Neill. He seems like a nice guy. Can't they just leave him alone? There's a lovely goal in Barnsley. Your questions and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Barry Glendening, welcome. Hello. Hello, Nicky Bandini. Morning. And hello, Philippe Auclair. Bonjour. Bonjour, ça va. To the Parc des Princes then. Uh, PSG 1, Newcastle 1. Chilton says, no questions, Max. Really excited to hear the first 10 minutes of the pod talking about VAR. Mark, keen to know Max's thoughts on handball in the box. Not sure it's been discussed before. Mark, this VAR lark makes things interesting, doesn't it, Barry? And Ian says, when was the last non-contentious handball penalty decision? Terry McDermott in the 1981 League Cup final? (laughs) Dan says, I'm not entirely sure. I could be wrong. I don't think Alan Shearer was happy with that penalty decision. Uh, Shearer tweeted last night, do me a fucking favour, man. What a load of shit. Which is in contrast to the Newcastle-Arsenal game a few weeks ago where he tweeted, well done, ref. You're the man. Um... I don't know, Nikki, if it's interesting to talk about it, but like, I mean, all the questions we've got were about this moment, and it does feel so harsh on Newcastle. Of course, you know, PSG missed a load of chances, but how is how is that a penalty? It's why um, I think some people picked up on this on Twitter as well. But I, I was laughing when it happened, and I feel bad laughing at it because live TV is 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 hard, and sometimes you you slip up with your sort of phrasing. But Jermaine Jane is saying, in any walk of life, that's not a penalty. <laughs> Just hit my funny bone because I was trying to imagine walks of life in which it might be a different consideration. Everybody walking around the street with their arms behind their back now, <laughs> possibly. Give away a penalty on the way to Waitrose, could you? But yeah, I, I mean, to, to, to be serious about it, I, no, I, I didn't think it was a penalty. And I think when you get into the the the, the rules about uh, is the arm in an unnatural position, of course it's not. Levermento is running and therefore he's using his arms to balance himself like a, a human does. Um, having said that, have I seen penalties like that given in Italy? Yes. Have I seen penalties given in European football, yes. Is there consistency? No. Is this going to be the most repetitive conversation we have forever and ever? Yes. Um, I I don't know what I can add to it. Um, I didn't think it was a penalty. I think Newcastle are within their rights to feel frustrated, more than frustrated, upset because these things define entire seasons, right? These moments completely change the course of, of a team. But I, I just don't know what I can say that's going to add depth to this conversation, I suppose. Well, it's not supposed to have any kind of depth. It's just a vehicle for anger, isn't it? And frustration. It's a football is this great cathartic thing. And uh, it's amazing. I, I actually watched this game in France, Max. And uh, uh, what was very funny is that the um, uh, commentating team on Canal Plus, they're basically like a PSG fan club. I mean, you would be amazed at the way they, they analyze a game. And... They started their coverage by showing uh, the referee of the night, Monsieur Marcignac, 
having a long conversation and shaking Kylian Mbappe's hand, uh, head, uh, hand actually would be better than head. Yes. Uh, in, 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 yes, that would be better. Uh, on their way out to, uh, to the pitch and of course saying, well, Mr. Marcinia, he was the referee of the World Cup final, you know. There, there is previous there between Mbappe and Mr. Marciniak. And during the whole game, they kept saying, oh, this refereeing decision is a bit strange. And it's strange that every decision seems to be getting going against PSG. There must be something. Mr. Marciniak really, you know, you can't be serious. All this kind of stuff until, until the VAR call. And even they said, Oh, it might be a bit harsh on Newcastle. And for them to say <laughs> that, I think we can take it, stop the conversation here, say, yeah, it might have been very, very harsh indeed on on, on Eddie Howe's team. And uh, But my goodness, I hadn't watched a, a French game on the French TV channel for a while. And uh, suddenly, um, believe me, um, the British or English commentators seem like a paragon of fairness and uh, and balance compared to what is being served to French viewers. <laughs> I was going to say, should we have a kind of competition, like a parallel competition of the Champions League, where we would have, who's the most biased? Uh, is it the French, the English, the Italians? I'm surely, Nikki. Um... <laughs> well, history has this almost like two-tier sort of system, though, where there's the, the sort of most mainstream channels. Not that they can't be biased, because they are, but then you also have these almost sort of fan presentations for which Tiziano Crudelli is the most famous example who who, who got a sort of famous uh-huh. even in England for a little while and was doing I think Labbrook's adverts certainly a betting company um so there there are slightly different um levels within Italy but I mean yes there's definitely bias can I go back to the handball decision people are going to say I'm being a contrarian I'm not by our old friend the pedantic old pal the letter of the law the correct decision was made. Now, I think we can all agree it's a stupid decision, but uh, according to UEFA, that was the correct decision. And people, uh, Newcastle fans, Sky Sports News, Talk Sport, among others, have all been quoting this text from a, a kind of advisory board made up of ex-pros, ex-managers, I think, who recommended to FIFA or UEFA that exactly what happened to Tino Livramento last night should not be a handball. And they are quoting this scripture saying this is why the penalty should have stood. What most of them aren't mentioning, probably because they just don't know, is that those recommendations by that panel were rejected by UEFA. So according to UEFA guidelines... Uh, Mr. Marciniak was correct to award that penalty. Now, I think it's horribly unfair and a stupid law, but that is the law. And people have also been going, well, but what about uh, the penalty that was awarded against Wolves when a Luton player crossed the ball, it hit Juan Gomez on the foot, I think, sort of rolled up his body and then hit his outstretched hand. Why was that given? The reason is the laws are applied differently in the Premier League to the UEFA or to uh, Champions League and because Juan Gomez had his hand out or his arm outstretched over his head. So that's why that was given. So I I, I think it shouldn't have been a penalty, but according to the law, it, it was the correct decision. 
I think this is where I would push back a little bit on that. Is I, I think the whole point is that the law is ambiguous, right? That the, the law talks about this sort of extending your your natural frame, and there's um, this sort of idea of what is a natural movement is is what comes into question. And I, where I agree with you completely is I think if you look at decisions made in the Premier League compared to where they're made where I observe the most, which is in Serie A, there's no question that the law is applied much more strictly in Serie A. There are far more handballs given in Serie A than in the Premier League. I think that there is not this, within the law, absolutely clear-cut language that gives you uh, an answer either way, which is why there's always going to be an argument about it. The problem is, if you want there to not be an argument about it, you have to get to absolutely black and white terms that involve no subjectivity about intention or about, which is what UEFA are trying to do and, and failing to do. And if you want to have no subjectivity, then the answer is, if the ball hits an arm, it's a handball full stop. And that's the only really black and white way you can give it other than removing handballs. Barry, that little bit you did about when you said the law a million times is the most you've sounded like Hastings from line of duty. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet baby Jesus and the transported. angels. <laughs> I was transported there. We could, I'm trying to write a column about this, we could change the law. Right, I mean, I wouldn't give it. I'd just say play on. But you could say, if it hits your hand, unless it's Suarez going in, it's a free kick. So you don't need to get a VAR. You don't do anything. You just say, right, it's a free kick there. You're less likely to have a goal. Goals matter. There are too many penalties. And that, and it would sort of, it, it, it would make it more consistent. Really. So would you have a deliberate handball in the box penalty? Not deliberate handball, just an accident, free kick. Sure, indirect. and of course, of course, of course, there would be a row over the subject. Yeah, yeah, and we would have indirect free kicks in the box, which are one of the greatest things in the game. But as long as you're saying it's deliberate, there's going to be a fight. I don't know if what Max meant more than deliberate was is the ball going in? Because if if you can make that a yes. category that's more easy to like judge in a neutral way, is is the ball going to go in if that hand doesn't hit it and then it's a penalty? Luis Suarez or Samaji, <laughs> and that's, that is isn't a deliberate handball. And I think what we saw last night was definitely not a deliberate handball. And you should consider not deliberate any ball that hits the hand or the arm after it has rebounded from another part of the body. That should yeah. be not deliberate. That's That's quite clear. I mean, the thing is that a penalty was given for this, and which you kind of understand if you do go by the letter of the law. And also probably here, the VAR people were right to refer it to the referee because he obviously hadn't seen the fact that it, it, it hit the hand. He, he hadn't really seen it properly. So that was fine. But I'm thinking of an incident that happened yesterday in the game between Feyenoord and Atletico Madrid, where there was a stonewall penalty that wasn't given. Did you see that, Alvaro Morata? Alvaro Morata... His shirt was pulled and he was put off balance as he was trying a diving header with the goal gaping at his mercy. But because he was able to head the ball, the referee said, play on. That's ridiculous. He was clearly impeded in the act of trying to score a goal three yards from the, from the goal line by a player who pulled his shirt. And I don't care the fact that Marata was able to head the ball in the end. It should have been mm. a penalty and it was not given. Well, look, if you're in, it's crazy. Yeah, if you're enjoying this, you'll you'll love uh, you'll love Fulham Wolves. In a oh. um, <laughs> Newcastle were, you know, they were sort of stoic, Barry. They were, you know, they rode their luck. I mean, Nick Pope was brilliant, but you, you know, they weren't robbed in a way because PSG had so many chances. But they also were robbed. Like both are possible. I think if you'd offered Newcastle a point before the game, they'd have happily taken it. I thought I was hugely impressed with their performance. All eleven players were excellent. The only criticism I'd have of the performance, and it's probably unfair, is that while 
they are ravaged by injuries. Eight of that starting 11 started the corresponding fixture St. James's Park against uh, PSG when they spanked them 4-1. And uh, the three who came in, I think it's Livermento, Miley, and uh, who's the third? Oh, Fabian Schaar, I think. They were all outstanding last night. So I'm not sure they needed to be as backs to the wall as they were. And I think they could have taken more risks in the second half. I can appreciate why they didn't. But the fact that they sat back and just defended the whole second half very much increased the likelihood of them conceding a penalty. And I, to be fair, I do think uh, that Anthony Gordon foul on Ashraf Hakimi, I think that should have been a penalty and it wasn't given. I think they got away with one there. But other opinions are available. Clearly, you disagree. But um, no, I was hugely impressed with the Newcastle performance. But if they want to be judged by the very highest standards, because they were playing with the big boys now, I I think they could have been slightly more proactive. Mm. I mean, I I kind of don't think any penalty is a penalty. Now becomes so sort of, you know, actually, <laughs> no foul is a penalty. Um, I, I, it's also worth pointing out, you know, and I, it seems laughable that we're, you know, plucky little underdog church mice Newcastle, but their bench had two goalkeepers, uh, Paul Dummett and four teenagers, uh, none of whom were attackers, and three of the teenagers had two senior appearances for the club between them. So they... They had very little on the bench, whereas uh, Luis Enrique was able to turn to his bench, packed with talent, bring on several players uh, who changed the game. But Bradley Barcola missed a hatful of chances uh, and probably should have won it for PSG. Yeah. It's always Paul Dummett that gets named as "Look how shit this." Yeah, is. it seems <laughs> it seems really unfair. Actually, I I I, I kind of spat his name out there. Yes. With contempt, I didn't mean. Yeah, um, from PSG point of view, Philippe, where are where are they? It was a very frustrating. They knew they they got away with it. Uh, I mean, as happened in the first game actually against Newcastle, the, the first ten to fifteen minutes were absolutely stupendous in terms of how quickly. Uh, they were passing the ball, uh, how incisive they were, particularly on the right hand, uh, on the right flank, where Dembele was given all sorts of nightmares to, to Livramento. But, um, but then afterwards, as they do, when things are not quite looking uh, like they're, they're going to score the goal they think they deserve, if you see what I mean, they tend to take their foot off the pedal and they let Newcastle back in the game. And I think there were loads of things to admire, but there were also loads of things, loads of players who probably didn't perform at their right level. I mean, Donnarumma, certainly not one. And again, I'm afraid to say Kian Bappe um, was certainly not the uh, the force that, that it could be. And I think it was in a way summarized in in that beautiful move that they did on, on, on the right flank where Mbappe tried to do a, a back heel behind the standing foot to beat the keeper, which if it had worked would have been one of the goals of the season, you know, the conclusion of a beautiful move. But he was not his timing was not quite on. He could have taken it perhaps with with the foot normally and perhaps scored. And it was and he looked really frustrated uh, all night through. And they also it also shows how they struggle against sides which are very compact, like this 4-5-1 we saw, which became a, a 6-4-1, then um, a 6-3-1. And 
Habib Bey and the former Senegalese international who was commentating for, for French television, he was actually a very good consultant, by the way. He was not singing PSG's praises all the way through. He said, it's difficult to play against a team which has parked the bus. And you think, okay, here goes the cliche. But he said, it's even more difficult to play against a team that's brought the bus and the bus the bus keeps moving. And uh, which I thought that's quite nice, actually, because it's true that they were incredibly intelligent in their movement, Newcastle, in terms of defensive movement. And also the times when they actually, their high press was extremely effective. And PSG are not used to that. So I would disagree a bit with... Um, with that, on, on, on that, uh, as in, I think they, they played the right game. They weathered the storm, uh, another cliche, uh, for the first 15 minutes, got back into the game, perhaps could have done a little bit more, but to me, they looked physically um, a little bit blunt, I have to say, as the game uh, as the game went on. So uh, all in all, um, you know, a, a superb performance by them and, um, and a deserved uh, scoreline at the end. I mean, they really, they really put in a shift against Chelsea at the weekend. And I thought in the final 20 minutes they'd fall apart just out of sheer mental and physical exhaustion. Because so, it was the same 11 that started against Chelsea mm. and not uh, Eddie Howe didn't make any substitutions. So they deserve, I think, immense credit. And I think they were all superb. Lewis Miley, what a performance from a, a child. <laughs> it was just sensational. I, I was actually just going to make the point that I think Baz just touched on there, which is um, obviously... My eyes were more on the, on the Milan game, which was happening at the same time. But I thought, thought it was an astonishing detail that there was not a single substitution from Newcastle, given what Baz just said about the same team playing at the weekend. I understand everything about the the lack of depth on the bench, but are you asking too much of, of your players to 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 not bring any fresh legs into that situation when you're back to the wall? I don't know because it's one of those stories where, and I think this is constantly true in all football, but even more true in the Champions League, where you have these tight groups and and one game can can ruin everything one goal can ruin everything um but we need to probably avoid rewriting a narrative based on what happens with the goal at the end because that penalty doesn't get given and Newcastle don't concede then it was obviously vindicated not to make those changes um so look Dortmund are through uh haven't necessarily won the group yet they play PSG next uh Newcastle and Milan third and fourth on five points um Milan lost three one at home to Dortmund what did you make of it Nikki? It was a hugely entertaining game, like a really, really fun game of football because both teams just played wide open. So much space between the lines, um, borderline irresponsible from both teams a lot. Some brilliant uh, football at times, some great goals. Great to see another English teenager, Bruno Gittens, uh, for Dortmund, scored the second goal. He's been on fire recently and, and clearly looks like another fantastic up-and-coming talent. Um, at the other end of, I suppose, the age spectrum on the pitch, Mats Hummels was, was immense in defence for Dortmund. Having said all that, from a Milan point of view, it's the same story it's been all through this group, which is missed opportunities. Um, they had a penalty at nil-nil, which Olivier Giroud missed. Um, another handball decision, which I thought was clear-cut, but BT's commentators did not think was clear-cut, but that penalty missed at nil-nil. Then they concede a penalty, which is so avoidable, completely unnecessary challenge from Calabria, who's one of the, the most experienced players in the team and, and should know better, gives away a penalty, gives the lead to Dortmund. Milan come back into Chiquese, who hadn't scored yet since joining the summer, scores a great goal. And at one all, Milan had some real chances to 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 put themselves in front. Ruben Loftus Cheek um got past Hummels at one point and it was three on one and and he just seemed to take a, a heavy next touch, which meant that he never quite had it under control in the way that he should have done. So for Milan, I think you look at this group and 
they certainly will feel that they, they should have won at home to Newcastle and they didn't. They could have won away to Dortmund and they didn't. And they could have won this game and they didn't. Um, and it doesn't look like that because they lost 3-1. But again, look at expected goals and, and they were they were not as short of chances in this game. They were missing Rafael Leal, who's their transformative player up front. But I think it's actually just a, a fundamental issue for them. That they're not as ruthless, not as clinical. They lack that goal scoring edge they need. And in the group of death, that was always likely to cost them in the end. And I think it has. All right, that'll do for part one. Uh, part two will begin at the Etihad. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, so look, Man City have won five from five. Uh, they beat RB Leipzig 3-2, coming back from uh, two goals down. Um, so that was entertaining, Philippe, wasn't it? It was like, after we talked yes. about the Etihad being quiet against Liverpool, this was, by the end, it was rocking. Yeah, I know. You, it, maybe with Manchester City, there should be um, what you do in chess sometimes. Like when you play against a much stronger opponent and you say, oh, I'll give you a, a pawn, I'll give you a, a knight, I'll give you a bishop, even a rook advantage, you know, when you're playing against the master. So maybe it would be an idea. Like either you could have Manchester City starting with seven players and getting then eight or nine every 10 minutes, you know, something like that, or being given a two goal, you know, a disadvantage at the start. And that would make for better football. But it was not. I mean, it's what is very strange that the, the, this first half, which Pep Guardiola will probably look on as probably the worst that they've played this season. Would you agree with that in terms defensively, certainly because mm. the two goals. Sunny Ruben Diaz, you know. So, oh God, uh, yeah. Well, uh, I mean, Luis Openda, by the way, not a bad player, is he? And um, another player from Liège, by the way. Uh, we can talk about that. Um, but then afterwards, you saw the real Manchester City, and I have to say that. Um, Phil Foden's performance in the second half was just, I mean, mesmerizing, absolutely beautiful. But they didn't look their um, their usual best. And it, it's it's, and I'm thinking what what Baz was saying about Eddie Howe using the same team that had played against Chelsea. When I saw the um, the lineup, I thought I'm not sure that Pep Guardiola has got it right because in fact he had put probably what was his strongest available lineup for this game. When qualification had already been achieved, and it was a question finishing the top of the group. I'm thinking, are the players going to be really as up for it as they would? It wouldn't be the chance, apart from Ortega coming for Edison, would be a chance for um, a few other players perhaps to um, to show what they could do in this context. They looked a little bit unfocused. Let's put it that way. They lacked concentration at both ends of the pitch. You know, Lewis skying this shot that he normally would put in and Diaz having an absolute nightmare. But then second half, you see the difference and some some quite beautiful, actually, um, beautifully throwing football with Phil Foden. Uh, that goal, I think, is when you can literally put two opponents out of play just by a shimmy, a drop of the shoulder, and then immediately shoot, that's, that's art. Uh, it was really beautiful. As someone who has negotiated the Liège one-way traffic system while covering the Tour de France... I'm hugely impressed with anyone who can get out of that city, <laughs> let, let, let alone uh, go sign for RB Leipzig and, and hugely impressed against you know the European champions. Uh, I think Folden was brilliant throughout, but the highlight was his post-match interview in which he described the game as a half of two sides. Uh, <laughs> I think there's there's a, a freedom that some of these young English players are playing with that's really exciting. I think that there's there's this generation of of attacking talents that's come through, and obviously Jude Bellingham is is 
poster boy and a bit younger, but there's there's this there's just this group of I don't know if you want to call them wingers, attacking midfielders, attackers. They all sort of within that broader category. So I think of them all as attacking players, but they all just seem to have a a, a confidence and um, willingness to to do things, to take risks, to try things on the ball that. I think is is a real gear shift from previous generations, and I think it's it's really exciting to see. And Phil Foden has been brilliant. If only Gareth would take the handbrake off, for goodness' sake, <laughs> then we'd be all right. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, Baz. On on TNT's highlights show, um, so Julian Laurent did the the goal show, and he was absent from the highlight show. Presumably, he had to go and have a lie down after the PSG game. <laughs> But John Hutchison was in his place. I'm a big fan of him as a pundit. I think he's outstanding. But he he said that he thinks Jack Grealish is really going to struggle to get back in that city side. I'm just wondering what my fellow panellists might think of that uh, assessment. What do you think, Philippe? I mean, you've got what Doku is. Doku Doku has been incredibly impressive, hasn't he? Yes, actually, thinking of it, thinking, I think Don Hutchison and, and Barry might have a point. I hadn't thought of it like that at all. Um, but if you were to take, uh, to to name a, a first 11 for Pep Guardiola, you would put Doku ahead of him, wouldn't you, at the moment? It might depend on who you're playing, I suppose, and whether or not he has plans to deprogram and reboot Doku like he he did Grealish <laughs> another Belgian then the people by the way people were saying oh the golden generation has gone oh no hello here come Doku and uh, and and Luisa Pan- and uh, Luisa Panda who uh, by the way was bought for almost no money by by Lance uh, just about uh, 18 months ago he cost almost nothing from Club Rouge, and now he's uh, probably a 60 million player. It's not more than that. Mm. Yeah, but however many young kids they have, it'll still be Alder Vilrelt, Jason Denier, Jan Vertonghen for the rest of time, won't it? Uh, young boys beat Red Star 2-0. Uh, that win uh, means a point in their final group game against Leipzig will guarantee them uh, qualification for the Europa League. In Group E, uh, Lazio 2, Celtic 0. Uh, Celtic's Champions League dream is over. I mean, I, we could have said that a few weeks ago, probably. Winless in their last 14 in the competition, losing 11. I don't know, Baz, how do Scottish teams, be, you know, how does Celtic become more competitive? I think this is the exact same question you asked me after every Celtic defeat in the Champions League. <laughs> but the problem is they, they were competitive last I th- I thought they were competitive against Lazio. They, they did have their chances. They were not too lucky. It's the problem. How do you go from getting competitive to actually get points? <laughs> There's a difference between the two, and they don't seem to have made the transition. Yeah, they, they didn't have much cutting edge, and Kiro Mobile was on the bench for Lazio. I'm curious to know why, Nicky, uh, why he didn't start. And he came on and just boom, boom, game over. The way they get competitive is for the Scottish Premier League to become more competitive and by dint of Celtic being in the Champions League every season, it's not going to become more competitive because uh, they have much more money than everyone else. So it's a vicious cycle they're caught in. I did see, um, I can't remember who it was, a Celtic fan I know, it wasn't Barca Jim, it might have been Lawrence Dunnigan, but I can't remember. But they, they had a right go at the Celtic head of recruitment on Twitter and said that as long as he's in place, nothing is going to improve. I am in no position to offer an opinion on whether that's a valid criticism or not. 
I'm presuming you are in a position to offer a valid opinion on Chiro Immobile and why he wasn't starting. Yeah, well, so there's, there's been a bit of an ongoing story with Immobile this season because they signed uh, Tati Castellanos, who we've talked about on the pod before, in the summer Lazio. Immobile got off to a slow start and then you had the owner, Claudio Latito, saying, hey, you know, I spent money on this striker in the summer. Why aren't you playing this striker I signed? And so Castellanos has been playing some games and he's had some some good moments. And so there's been a bit of a, I know Italy, they call it a staffetta. There's been this sort of uncomfortable rotation between the two of them to, to decide who's supposed to be the first choice. Um, and Immobile hasn't always been as sharp as as he has been in past seasons, but this was very much a case of him coming off the bench and doing what Immobile does, which is being an exceptional poacher. And I, 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 mean, I, I find the fact that Lazio are through this group with a game to spare sort of fascinating because they're almost the opposite of Milan. Milan, who've who've played some better football, but and and certainly are a better team than Lazio right now, um, but have been able to score. Whereas Lazio have just constantly found goals in this group when they needed them. I mean, it was a 94th minute equaliser against Atletico at the start with. Providel, the goalkeeper, scoring it. Then it was a 94th minute winner against Celtic away with um, Pedro scoring it. Two goals here from the 80th minute onwards. They've they've not been good, I don't think, really much at all in this group. But they score goals they need, and and so they're going through. Uh, Atletico through as well. They went through one in final. Um, Very funny game, by the way, uh, Max. That why? I mean, I, I the the Hermoso finish was amazing, but why was it a the funny Hermoso game finish too? is is absolutely? Do you think he meant it? I, I want to think so. Yeah, come on. <laughs> but I think the first, because there were two own goals for, um, or I should say against final, but the first one I think is an absolute classic it's because great. it's a slow-mo own goal. They're, they're very precious. You know, there's the one diving bullet header in your own net. That's one thing. But this one is ball being lobbed in a vaguely half-dangerous situation. Just, um, just... Uh, it's touching, but almost just the, the surface of the jersey of, of the final defender then being deviated just enough to go beyond the keeper. All this in slow motion. That was mm. brilliant. Yeah. It sort of bounced about 10 times. And you were, yeah, no one could well. get it. Everyone knew what was happening, but no one could get it. Um, but well done, Atleti. In Group H, Barca beat Porto 2 1. Um, and they're through uh, to the round of 16. They haven't done that for a couple of years. So that is uh, good news for them. It's always weird seeing Barcelona not at the Camp Nou isn't it? Of the final round of fixtures, Porto have to play Shakhtar for a sort of winner-takes-all uh, who's going to come second in this group because they're both on nine points, Antwerp with uh, nothing. Um, so for Shakhtar to be even close is is quite extraordinary, isn't it? Um, uh, Shakhtar beat Antwerp 1-0 uh, in the early game in that group. That'll do for part two. Part three uh, will begin with Fulham's victory over Wolves. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Dan says, thoughts with Arsenal and Everton fans as the footballing agenda is now confirmed to be against Wolves. Um, they uh, uh, they lost 3-2, Baz, to Fulham. Um, Gary O'Neill says, maybe tonight has finally turned me against VAR. I'm amazed it's taken in this long. The impact you're having on my reputation and the club and people's livelihoods is massive. I've always been for VAR, but I think it's causing problems at the moment. I think VAR has cost us there. So they have, yes, I mean, I don't know which was the most... One of the penalties was terrible. And then the, the late penalty is, I mean, it might be a foul, but I don't know. And Vinicius headbutting, but not headbutting someone hard enough. To, so it's not a red card. I don't know what you made of all of it, Barry. Well, I thought it was a good game for a start. And as someone with no particular skin in the game, I 
kind of enjoyed the the controversies, and I I do think Fulham or Wolves were very unlucky, and obviously this isn't the first time they've been on the wrong end of an egregious decision that's cost them points. Uh, opening day of the season, there was Onana clattering Sasakalajic and Wolves not getting a penalty, so that you could say that's a point lost. The Luton one I mentioned earlier in this podcast, technically that was a correct decision. So, uh, and I, to be fair, I don't think O'Neill included that one in his. I'm not going to say rant because he, he was very measured. Uh, he wasn't angry. I mean, I think he was inwardly seething, but he, you know, he said, "I'm not angry with anyone. I'm not in there abusing people. It's a conversation." That was talking about his chat with the ref. Incidentally, didn't he say three weeks ago he was never going to talk to referees again? And he seems to have done little else since. <laughs> but, yes, uh, yes. That's beside the point. <laughs> then against Newcastle away. Fabian Schar was given a ridiculous penalty uh, despite not being fouled by Huang Hee Chan. And Wolves got an apology for that one. That's another two points lost uh, against Sheffield United. Much the same penalty was given against Fabio Silva. Uh, that's a point lost, you could say. And then on Fulham, uh, I thought Semedo's being penalised for a, fa- a non-existent foul on, on Kearney when the score was 1-1. Was I, that was the worst of the decisions? I think Vinicius should have been sent off for butting Max Kilman. Mm. This notion that because the headbutt I wasn't agree, yeah. violent enough, it it doesn't count. That that's just ludicrous. And I thought it would have been harsh to give Tim Ream a second yellow card for bundling over Huang uh, when Wolves got their penalty. It would have been double punishment. I don't think it was enough of a foul. It was a foul. I don't think it was a bookable offence, but others disagree, and apparently the officials disagreed or uh, said it, that they should have sent him off. So I, I will bow to their, I'm low to use the word, but superior judgment. So, But yeah, Wolves have every right to feel hard done by. Uh, they, you could argue they've been diddled out of minimum five points this season, possibly more. I... I while I don't like managers complaining about referees after games, I, I certainly sympathise with Gary O'Neill. And I, I think the way he went about criticising this occasion was, was good because it was measured and it was respectful and he didn't go off on a like mouth-forming rant. And, but will anything be done? Who knows? Yeah. I'm actually Eddie Howe didn't either. He was sort of quite measured after that. Uh, PSG game wasn't it yeah, I mean, um, yeah he was I mean Fulham and Wolves are sort of in that they'll be okay but they're not going to do much position say Barry I mean that's sort of I don't know who of the two of them I'm more impressed with Wolves than I am with Fulham currently I, I don't think Fulham are particularly good I have to say on the evidence of what I've seen will they yeah I don't think they'll be in trouble they, they, they very much have a sort of somewhere between 10th and 15th feel about them, both these sides, don't they? I think if either of them were going to get sucked into a relegation battle, it might be Fulham. But if Wolves keep getting <laughs> um, screwed over by referees... I mean, if I was a Wolves fan, I I would be utterly convinced there's a conspiracy against my team. But of course there isn't. It just seems to be unfortunate that it keeps happening to them. And Howard Webb must have his head in his hands. I think the same thing happened to Brighton last season, didn't it? They just kept getting shafted. Uh, and I, there's no doubt in my mind, it's just a, an unfortunate coincidence. 
you know, you could say looking at the the Newcastle game the last night and the one against Arsenal, you could argue, well, what goes around comes around. But Wolves have, have a lot in the <laughs> a lot of IOUs in the post. If that's the case, it's going to be one game where <laughs> Wolves get absolutely everything. It'll be amazing, won't it, uh, Nicky? On the the, the <laughs> because we just need to have more VAR <laughs> conversation on on the sort of Wolves being hard done by part of it. I think I remember a, a football supporters association survey from a couple of years ago asking fans, "Do you think your team has?" been sort of positively or negatively affected in terms of results by VAR and I think something like four percent of fans said that they thought their team had had been on the lucky end of things and 80 percent said they hadn't so I think every team one way or another still with or without VAR thinks that their team's hard done by um in terms of Fulham and, and Wolves I think the difference for me is um Fulham just don't have a goal scorer who you feel like is going to reliably get them through games and I sort of feel like I'm fixating on goals this this episode but since Mitrovic is gone, who's really picked up that burden? There isn't a player who's doing it for them. And obviously, William scored a couple of goals here and is a top scorer. But I think that's my biggest reservation for them in terms of staying up is you, you do need someone who's going to put the ball in the net. Yeah. And they did sign Raul Jimenez from Wolves to do that, who hasn't done that. Yes. <laughs> uh, while we're on the laws of the game, Alan says, IFAB are planning to introduce 10-minute sin bins for cynical fouls and dissent. How big of a change would this be for the game? Are you in favour? Um, yeah, uh, alongside that, they've proposed trials where only the team captain can approach the ref. And it was agreed that Simbins for dissent and specific tactical offences should be tried at higher level football following their successful implementation in grassroots football. I am all in favour, mm. Philippe. Yes, um, I, I still prefer the old um, Gaelic uh, games uh, black card, which I know they've ditched, but I really like the black card, which is when a player does something like that. The player is sent off, but replaced. So you, you don't, you're not numerical uh, inferiority, but you lose a player. And uh, so, um, yes, I mean, that would be that would be a start. I don't think that 10 minutes is necessarily long enough, to be honest. Um, and the impact would be more of a, uh, the impact would probably be on possession and tactical shape more than anything. But if it can stop this kind of fouls happening, which they do in every single game. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a bit of a no brainer, isn't it? I mean, the the orange card, if I'm not mistaken, there was a plan which had been brought forward by Jérôme Champagne at FIFA back in the 90s. It was already talked about at the time. And for some reason, it got lost in a, you know, in a drawer somewhere in, a, in an office in Zurich. Um, but um, yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's do it. Uh, and it wouldn't take very long to implement this. Is there an indication as to uh, a timetable for this, Max? Because we know that the tests have happened... Uh, at lower level, particularly in England, I have to be honest, I wasn't aware of that. And now the question is to bring it to high-level uh, competitive football. So uh, maybe next season, but I think yeah, it would be a, a very much a step in the right direction. And as to the captain only being able to talk to the ref, yes, please, it is absolutely ridiculous uh, to, to see what we see every single game. And also, by the way, sometimes you see a referee brandishing a yellow card when there's all this dissent like there was like when psg completely lost their discipline last night and he i can't remember which one got a yellow card for exactly what everybody does all of the time at the moment so there again there is no consistency and if it's just a captain it's just a captain and yellow card for everybody else and we will all feel the better for it i feel like a simbin's a great answer to dissent because it's one of those things where you can sort of really easily 
extend and reduce it depending on how much. So if someone's just giving you too much talk, right, two minutes off, then if you keep talking, you're going to keep getting it longer and longer, right? Or so sliding it one of those scale. mechanisms this that nice, players yeah. going to, right? Like if, if you, right, you've got two minutes in bin, but if you keep talking, I can make it five, I can make it 10. It's very naughty step, isn't it? It's really naughty step. Yeah, exactly. Basically naughty step. They could do that. They could brand that and it could have advertising on it. <laughs> it could be the, I don't know, I'm going to say Wilco because they're out of business. So I'm not giving anyone sponsorship. The Wilco naughty step for, for the next two minutes. If, yeah, if if you had been, Fernandino would have been like Oscar the Grouch and Sesame Street, <laughs> just, just living in it. Um, so just, can I be clear? The three of you are endorsing, we, we're, we're in this game we love we already have a set of laws that are completely unmanageable and you want to introduce a raft of new laws that will slow the game down increase time wasting uh probably increase levels of dissent rather than than decrease it you you want to introduce these laws more laws for people to get upset about i don't think it would increase dissent if people keep leaving the pitch they'll start being quiet, I think. I mean, everybody agrees that the punishment for tactical fouls is insufficient. So the sin bin is a solution. What is the other? Well, make make it a red card then. In which case, there is a huge quantitative, qualitative difference between um, violent play and uh, and tactical fouling, um, which does not have any um, consequences on the physical integrity of the player concerned. It seems to be quite a giant leap to have the same punishment for both, which is the idea of the orange card. And again, I say the black card, which I thought was fantastic. Um, uh, why the GEAA decided to do away with it, I don't know. Maybe that would be interesting to find out. But there has to be some extra kind of punishment uh, for, for this type of fouls. Because... Well, well, surely if a booking for something isn't enough, then the obvious next step is to make it a sending off offence. No, I'm with Philippe. I think... I, I I like the idea of tactical fouls, 10 minutes in the bin, see if it stops it. But you need to try these things in high-profile, meaningless games like the Community Shield and international friendlies and, I don't know, the EFL trophy. Like In, in games where no one really cares about them, but we actually see if it works. To make this work, it would need to be done in a way that's almost more like how line changes happen in ice hockey, where it's just like a quick on and off. Because if you get this sim bin then gets VAR involved, it's going to get out of hand completely, right? If it's a decision that can be stopped and we delay the game even more, it's, it's clearly worse. It has to be a right, as soon as you step off the pitch, we'll start a clock running. You can come back on when that clock's out. It has to be done in a way that isn't going to add more stoppages to the game. That's a problem because it works in rugby because in rugby you've got real timekeeping. So therefore, imagine if you've got 10 minutes in the sin bin and the next 10 minutes, you basically have breakups in play absolutely happening all the time. In fact, the player who's been punished will only have missed like three or four minutes. There is a problem there. Um, so yeah. it's it's a bit more complicated, yeah. perhaps. But you have to say both teams have to give it a good go when the guy's been simbin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm so, sure yeah. I remember arguments like this ahead of VAR where people were going, oh, it'll be grand. It'll be absolutely <laughs> uh, You're fine. probably right. You're probably right, Barry. Who knows? This would be an absolute calamity if it's introduced here to watch this was the Barnsley goal tonight one of the greatest things to happen in football yeah Barnsley beat Wickham 1-0 <laughs> with a goal from Sam Cosgrove in the 91st minute the Wickham keeper um, Max Strijek uh, was doing that thing where goalkeepers just keep the ball at their feet and don't pick it up until the last minute and then the striker ran up to him and he picked the ball up at the last minute and the, the striker sort of bumped into him very softly so he fell over 
and spilled the ball and Sam Crossgrove just scored. And then he stood there going, oh, I've, I really shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Find it out. It's really, really funny. Uh, David Squires, a message to say he almost went full Munich given Swindon were 4-0 up uh, in the 89th minute away at Accrington Stanley. And then Accrington Stanley scored in the 92nd, 97th. Uh, and a hundredth minute before having one cleared off the line uh, before full time, but a win is a win. I hear Max, you you might have come perilously close to your own little Munich in the past twenty four hours. Well, Neil does say thoughts and prayers <laughs> over your food poisoning, Max. Did it compare to Barry's <laughs> Munich experience, uh, or were you near your facilities? I mean, I don't know how um, I don't know how graphic you want me to go, Barry. But, you know, <laughs> I had a uh, I had a. I think it was a chicken fried rice that that did it, and I was I was on Zoom. I was having a Zoom game of Scrabble with my mum, and I started to feel really quite bad. I was like, okay, so I finished that. I thought, well, if I can get to bed, because my stomach was in absolute knots, I was like, if I can get to bed, then it'll all be all right. I wasn't kidding anyone. Everyone knew what was going to happen, but I was like, come on, just get in and lie down. I think I must have fallen asleep for half an hour, and then I sort of went into the I went into the the toilet and I sort of had a couple of you know a couple of those just hands and knees over the toilet but nothing happens you think oh, I might be alright so then I went back to bed again and I got up and then I was like oh maybe it's not maybe it's not that end that I need to go maybe it's the other end so I I I, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I sat on the toilet and began my business at which point I got the full sweats oh. like I got the 20 second warning this is happening and I didn't have time to like spin around and get my head in the right oh. position, so I just hurled myself onto the uh, over the sh- into the shower, which is just on the right. And can I describe us? It was sort of like Team America. It was like it was like vomiting Graham Alexander penalties. It was like honestly, it was like Tony Yaboa's left foot had become my stomach lining. It was absolutely insane. I was sort of marvelling while at the same time really feeling quite bad. Anyway, that all finishes. You know, like that twenty seconds before you're going to be sick is like. That that is the worst feeling on earth, right? It hasn't happened yet, but you know. And uh, but it was all done. I was a bit sort of sweaty, and I, then I realized, then I obviously remembered that I I had been mid other business, so then I went and sort of sat on the toilet to clear myself up. And here's where it goes a little bit Munich. Um, I hadn't been aware during the Graham Alexanders that I had also had an incident. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, but to to but to make it worse. I sat back on the toilet and I only noticed when like it appeared that I was I was just sort of scre- streaming excrement around the bottom of the bathroom because oh. I stood right on <laughs> <laughs> This is so much detail. Gold. Uh, and so oh, stop it. Uh, and so I was sort of I was wasn't feeling very well and then I was standing up and every place time I placed my foot somewhere I was it was sort of going Oh for- god. What I would have done in that situation, Max, is gone in, picked up the child, just brought him into the bathroom, sat him in the middle of it, and then woken up the current Mrs. Rush and gone, yeah. look what he's done. No, but that, I'm in a hotel on my own in Sydney. I, ah, I there's no one sorry. else to blame but myself. But yeah, it was it was interesting. I was I was looking at lots of Newcastle fans and other fans going, I feel sick with that penalty decision. And I was thinking, compared to actually being sick, it isn't that bad. What happened to Tino Liveramento? My relative feelings of this is really bleak. And there is, you know, sometimes you'd stand back and you take a look at yourself and you're completely naked and there is a, there is a pool of vomit in the shower covered in your own, covered in your own excrement. And you think, you know, 
it's a humbling experience, put it that way. Um, <laughs> anyway, hopefully, hopefully that was that. Um, I'll update you tomorrow on the pod <laughs> to see how we go. Um, uh, uh, so, yeah, uh, thanks for your question, Neil. And that'll do for today. Uh, thanks, Philippe. Uh, thank you very much, Max. Uh, I need okay. a breather now. Uh, yeah, thank you, Nikki. <laughs> no, thanks, Neil, for that question. None at all. No, I'm, sorry I'm really sorry. I'm sorry about that. Cheers, Baz. Thank you. Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Daniel Stevens. This is The Guardian. <laughs> 